You've probably heard me say I interpret dreams from a Jungian perspective, but who was Jung? Why isn't he more popular? In this mini-sode, I'll talk to you about why Jung and depth psychology aren't more mainstream. Besides, we all want to feel a little bit like nonconformists sometimes, don't we? Hello, and welcome to The Stuff of Dreams. I'm your host, Amy Lawson, MD, practicing pediatrician. I also have a master's degree in depth psychology, specifically in Jungian and archetypal studies. My goal is to connect you with your dreams in a more fun and meaningful way so that you can interpret the messages your unconscious is sending. So, when I tell people that I have a degree in depth psychology, usually the first thing we have to talk about is that, no, I didn't say death psychology, I said depth psychology, as in deep. Really, depth psychology is different from regular or behavioral psychology in the fact that it really believes in the existence of the unconscious and it seeks to understand how the unconscious influences us, as well as seeing the unconscious as a source of inner wisdom for us. Most people point to Sigmund Freud as the main founder or the first person to really deal with depth psychology, but C.G. Jung took it a lot further. Just briefly, Freud did believe in the existence of the unconscious, but his idea about the psyche was a bit more simplistic. He thought that we were ruled by our desires and by our drive toward pleasure. So a lot of his stuff ended up being about sex. And also his concept of the psyche was really parts that were at war with each other. Just struck me as a, a bit too negative and conflict oriented. Although there are still people that like Freud today, so that's all right to each his own. Jung was from Switzerland, where his father was a cleric in the church. And from an early age, Jung was really fascinated by his internal world as well as the external world. He went to medical school and became a psychiatrist. And one of his first jobs was at the Bergholdsli Hospital, which had a large mentally ill population. And he was drawn to work with a lot of the patients with schizophrenia. And it was there that he noticed some really interesting things, because when he really listened to the delusions and the rantings and ravings of the schizophrenics, in them he found symbolism and he found themes from mythology and from other cultures. And he had the ability to kind of listen with that soft focus and be able to understand a little bit the inner landscapes of these people and that they weren't just speaking nonsense that they were speaking more unconsciously in the language of symbols and metaphors. And he actually had success in treating some of these by acknowledging and working with these delusions, respecting the patients and acting like their concept of reality was real so that he could engage with them enough to do therapy. And I think that's one of the places where he really became fascinated with the power of the unconscious. He worked with Freud for a time, but then they ended up breaking up over differences. Jung thought Freud was too rigid about some things, and Freud just wanted Jung to be a good little devotee and follower and only do what he said. Some of the letters that they wrote to each other when they were in the process of breaking up their relationship were highly entertaining. Each of them accusing the other of having complexes and not being able to see the truth. Yeah, those letters are published if, if you're interested. But Jung continued to work with patients and do therapy based on their dreams and their fantasies. He was a university professor for a long time and also had an outpatient practice, of course. And over his lifetime, he developed his techniques for psychotherapy that was based largely on dreams. 
One of my favorite Jung quotes is, The dream shows the inner truth and reality of the patient as it really is, not as I conjecture it to be and not as he would like it to be, but as it is. And it was that inherent truthfulness of dreams that made them so useful for his therapy. Because if he and his patient could interpret what the unconscious was trying to tell them, it often identified the complexes the patient was dealing with or the conflicts that they were having internally or some other cause of their neurosis. That's what he always called it, neurosis. But it was often, you know, anxiety or depression or however their particular mental issue was showing itself. So because of this emphasis on dreams, Jung's therapy was intensely personal and individualized. And honestly, I think that's one of the major reasons why it isn't more mainstream. It's not one size fits all, and that doesn't quite fit with our Western medical model. And I know, I'm a doctor. The analogy that I often use is that really we tend to treat our bodies like cars. And when we're sick, whether that's physically or mentally, we take them to the doctor and want the doctor to diagnose and find the the sick part and repair it or replace it. And that's assuming that, you know, we all pretty much function the same and you can just change our muffler or give us new spark plugs and we'll be fixed. That might make a little bit of sense when we're talking about organic disease, because yes, everybody's liver pretty much works the same. But there are also areas where I think our medicine should be more individualized, even when we're dealing with the body. But I'm getting off topic. I could go on a really long tirade about that, Um, especially with psychological issues in our Western model. We often don't tend to treat them in a very individualized way. We like to throw medications at them. Here's an anti-anxiety pill have some antidepressants. And I'm not saying those aren't useful. For many people, those can really help. But if we aren't addressing the underlying psychological issue that's causing the anxiety or the depression in the first place, then we're just creating a population of people who are on pills, in my opinion. I personally don't believe that every instance of depression or anxiety is purely based on some imbalance of neurotransmitters in our brain. I think that we as humans are much richer than that and that it has to do with our personalities and our culture and our families and our past experiences and traumas and the way we tend to deal with the world. And all of those can be approached in an individualized way to try to help us make sense of our lives and understand why we're having difficulties and possibly figure out how we can process things in a different way so that they're not so difficult. But all that requires being in the gray areas where one size doesn't fit all for all patients. And it doesn't really fit with our Western ideas of rationalism and everything should be based on logic. And it doesn't really go with our Western ideas of science and positivism and that we understand everything and can control everything that we understand. We don't understand the psyche as just being some kind of machine that works the same in all people. And that makes a lot of doctors and patients afraid of its gray areas, honestly. So because Jung's kind of therapy really respected the uniqueness of the individual and wasn't trying to lump everyone together into a pool of brains that functioned in the same way, he didn't quite fit in with the trends in the middle of the 20th century that were really trying to make science and medicine, but even psychology, much more black and white. And so that's why the behavioral psychology and the cognitive behavioral therapies really have done so well in the past decades. 
They're about logic and reason and behavioral psychologies about what we can measure of how we behave on the outside. It's much harder to study or deal with the inner workings of our mind. So that's one of the big reasons, I think, why Jung and depth psychology have not really gone mainstream. There are a lot of Jungian analysts out there. They have to study for years and years and years. It's very expensive, and their time is also very expensive, and a lot of people just don't have access to that. Jung also thought that for the majority of his patients who came to him in his outpatient practice seeking help, their fundamental problem was lack of meaning in their lives in some way. They needed to be reconnected to a sense of purpose. They needed to be reconnected to spirituality or religion or some system or structure that was bigger than they were so that they could feel a part of something again. Often his patients' dreams would give them clues as to what it was they really needed to heal themselves and remake their lives. But again, that kind of therapy is much harder to do. It's more time intensive. It's not one size fits all. And you can't just give somebody a pill. But he found that as he and his patients worked with their dreams and started to listen to the messages from their unconscious, they were able to integrate more aspects of their personality. They were able to become more diverse. They were able to learn to use the parts of themselves that they hadn't really tended to before. They hadn't really developed before. And Jung called this process individuation. He thought that was the main process that governs our development in life. And at its core, individuation is really integrating more and more parts of the unconscious into our consciousness so that we can have access to them and use them when appropriate and so that they don't have to be acting in the background, acting in the unconscious in ways that we aren't aware of, causing conflicts down there. Jung's idea of therapy and of individuation was bringing balance to the psyche, finding the places where it was too one-sided and then integrating the other side of the spectrum somehow. Just to give you an example, I think the reason that I was drawn to Jung and depth psychology is that I was extremely one-sided because of my scientific and medical training. Everything was supposed to be black and white and logical and explainable and understandable. But underneath that supposedly confident surface, I somehow knew there were a lot of things that I wasn't addressing and they were staying unconscious. And so they were pushing me around with complexes and things I couldn't quite control. I needed to be less one-sided and less black and white. And so I dived into this world of gray areas, of dreams, of the unconscious, of symbols, of metaphors, of mythology. And it's been a really good balancing journey for me. At one point, I thought that it might take me away from medicine, but really it has made my experience of medicine richer in some ways. Although sometimes ignorance is bliss and I wish I didn't see as much as I see, but it's made me appreciate both the scientific black and white parts of medicine and the emotional areas and the gray areas and the areas of connection and humanism and humanity that I was frankly a little bit afraid of before because they couldn't be represented with rules and algorithms. So that's what it's done for me in my life so far. And I think there's one important final reason why Jung and these ideas about dream interpretation haven't gone more mainstream. And that's because of the kind of people that are drawn to them in the first place. When you have an area like depth psychology where there is no one right answer, 
where everything is individualized, where there are some common themes and directions, but the details differ in every psyche. The kind of people that are drawn to that are people that are comfortable with gray areas. There are people who are comfortable saying, this is what I believe, but it may not be what you believe, and that's okay too. And they tend to also be people who are more introverted and more focused on the inner world than the outer world. And they also tend to be people who are more intuitive. And those aren't the kind of people who are going to go out and be zealots and try to spread their gospel around. There's no distilling Jung or depth psychology or dream interpretation into follow these three easy steps and you'll know the dream's meaning every time. You can absolutely learn and I point out general themes and show you how to do it in every episode that I make. But it takes some work and it takes some intuition and it takes some introspection. And because the people who are drawn to this area are often those more introverted, more intuitive types, they tend to like to associate with each other. And so you end up having these Jungian communities or groups of analysts or Jung institutes or even schools like where I trained, where We can all talk to each other and we all have this common language, but the emphasis isn't usually about taking it out into the world on some big scale. I mean, we think the world would be better if we could do that somehow, but it's much easier to talk to each other than try to talk to people who think this is a bunch of BS and that we're some crackpots. So (laughs) I think that's one of the real reasons that I wanted to do a podcast like this. I specifically try not to use too many big words in my podcast. I specifically try not to make this just for other people who already understand the ways that I'm interpreting dreams. I want to take this work out into the world and be a bridge between what I know about Jung and regular people. (laughs) Because I think regular people can learn a whole lot from this. And if we act like uppity Jung scholars who use big words and would rather talk to each other, we're driving away a lot of people that we could have helped. So my bottom line is anybody who's out there who can believe that their dreams might possibly have a meaning, that's all I need. That's the only prerequisite to this podcast. I may not be able to show you in three easy steps to mastering your dreams, but in every episode, I can show you with rich details how we can make meaning of people's unique, individualized dreams and determine their messages for the dreamers. And the more you do that, the more you're going to be able to apply the same things to your own dreams. And even further than that, I often learn from other people's dreams too, as if they had messages not just for that particular dreamer, but for us as humans. I think that sharing these intensely personal experiences, dreams, forces us to humanize these people, forces us to empathize with them, forces us to see that there are commonalities among all of us. Our unconscious speaks in these symbols and metaphors that are often really common between so many people. And I find that a reassuring message. There are so many ways that we're divided right now by nationalities or politics or race or gender or any of dozens of other ideologies. But we all share a little bit of the collective unconscious. And deep down, we're a lot more alike than we may seem. So, thanks for sticking with me through my tangents and some soapbox rants. I hope you found this informative. And I hope you'll stick with me and with Jung and with depth psychology 
to see just what it has to offer you as you connect more deeply with your inner self and the messages that it's sending you in dreams. That's it for this mini-sode. You can email me directly with dreams or comments at stuffofdreamspodcast at gmail.com. Head on over to my website at stuffofdreams.fireside.fm to find show notes for each episode. You can also find links there to major podcast apps, my favorite dream interpretation and depth psychology books, our subreddit, and my email. Thank you so much for listening, and if you liked it, I encourage you to tell a friend about it this week. Let's get more people fluent in the language of dreams. Bye for now, and I hope you dream tonight. Thank you.